Take your Bibles and go to the book of Genesis, chapter number 4. Book of Genesis, chapter number 4 tonight. Familiar story. But a story that's very representative uh, and applicable to the day and age in which we live. But that's with all the Bible. <clears throat> the Bible is, is a history book, but it's different in the fact that it never becomes obsolete. It's written from a standpoint to where everything that you read in this, in this book, it seems like uh, the world is trying to catch up with it all the time. And uh, that's, the, that's the genius uh, behind the Word of God. That's how you know God wrote it. Uh, that's because they can't discredit what, uh, actually, no matter how hard they try, they can't discredit what God wrote uh, because there's things in this book that are written about man that man wouldn't write about man. And this is undoubtedly one of those, <laughs> one of those stories that if I was a man trying to uh, show the world or the future, if I was, you know, writing the book of Genesis and and uh, I was Moses just writing, you know, what I wanted to write, then uh, I wouldn't portray man. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't write this account in the Bible. It's a blemish on mankind, right? But the Bible is truthful about man, and that's why man doesn't like it. <laughs> so Genesis chapter number 4, the Bible says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect upon Abel <clears throat> and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for allowing us to be in church tonight. God, I pray that you would, through the Holy Spirit, Father, just touch me tonight. pray you'd step through this nothing and do something here for somebody. God, I ask that you'd wash us in the blood, help us to have ears to hear, hearts to receive. Lord, we ask as we open up this passage, Lord, that you give us clarity through the Holy Spirit. God, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, Father, but the Holy Spirit leading guides us in all truth. I pray you do that tonight. Lord, I ask, uh, Lord, that um, as we go through these, these, uh, these thoughts on this passage, Father, that, uh, Lord, you'd help me to not say anything that would, uh, that would be unnecessary, but, Father, only the things that you would have to say. And so we love you tonight, and we, we take this opportunity very seriously and ask, Lord, that you'd help us, and may we be the better for coming here tonight. Thank you for the crowd that came out on a Sunday night to hear from you again. I pray that you bless them for their, their faithfulness. And ask, Lord, that you bless the church now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Genesis chapter number 4. Again, as I said before, it's a, it's a glaring blemish on mankind, especially in, in, how, in its infancy. You would think that maybe it'd take a little bit more time you know, for them to really mess the thing up I mean, as, much, as much as Adam and Eve already messed it up. You'd think that maybe uh, they'd learn and uh, things wouldn't go the way it went, but it went the way it went. And uh, this, this, this passage here is, uh, 
is, is very applicable because there's two, there's two competing positions that are on display here in the passage. You see, you have, you have Cain, who uh, is, is a tiller of the ground, and he is going to present to the Lord the work of his hands. And then you have Abel, who is a shepherd of sheep, who is going to take of his flock and is going to offer uh, a blood sacrifice on an altar. And of course, if you've been here on Thursday nights, you know what we've been going over in the book of Galatians and that Paul had a great dissension with the folks uh, uh, in the region of Galatia because Judaizers had come in and they had started to preach that they had to keep the law in order to get saved and also preach the law in order to stay saved. And uh, as you cross-reference those, those verses, what you find out is that that's Cain and Abel religion. Right? Uh, Abel's religion is one that's based on a sacrifice, and uh, Cain's religion is one based on the fruits of his own hands. Well, that's, 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 that's the world in which you live in today. You have, you, have, you have two forms of religion on the face of the planet. I don't care. Everyone says, well, there's so many different religions. No, there's two. Okay, there's biblical Christianity, which says that Jesus Christ is a Lamb of God that was slain, you know, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins and by faith, uh, through grace, plus nothing. And that's how you get saved. There's one. And then there's everything else that says you have to do something to get it or do something to keep it. That's Cain's religion. And so, uh, so the basis of any heresy on the face of the planet revolves around two forms of thought, and that is that you have to do something to get saved, or you have to do something to stay saved. I don't, you can put any, any religious title on that. You want to be a Roman Catholic? You want to be a Muslim? It's funny that the two most murderous uh, church states in all of history is the Roman Catholic church state and the Muslim church state. And what, and what do they represent? They represent that you don't know where you're going when you die. There's no assurance of salvation. You have to do this, 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 and this in order to get it. You have to do this, 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 this in order to keep it, right? And if you disagree with them, it's off with your head. You say, oh, no, not our, not our lovely Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, your lovely Roman Catholic Church. If it, wasn't for the, if it wasn't for the society of today, you don't think for one second that the same, the same spirit that was behind them in the Dark Ages when they were sending iron maidens to different countries and, and torturing people and trying to get them to change their religion, you think the same Roman Catholic Church would do the same thing today? Well, then maybe you forgot about the fact that your Bible says that in Revelation that there's a church that sits on seven hills in the horror of Babylon and filled with the blood of the saints. You forget that she's coming back on the scene. But we take our eyes off of it. There's only two forms of religion. There's only two forms of salvation. In essence, we overcomplicate it. And so there's two, there's, two, uh, there's two forms of thought. There's two co- competing ideas. There's two competing positions that are on display here. And it's not just on the basis of salvation. We have to understand that there's also multiple different principles or thoughts or concepts of what Christianity really is. There's debate amongst Bible believers. I'm sorry to tell you this, but there's, there's a sect of Bible believers, and if maybe you've been a part of it, you'd understand what I'm talking about. And if not, praise the Lord that you haven't been. But there's this thought and there's this process of thinking that I have to do something in order to stay right with God. That, I, that there, is this, there, is this, 
There's this uh, faith plus works type mentality that it is, I have to do this, 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 and I can't do this, 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 and this, and that ultimately is what makes me right with God. Can I ask you, can I just pose this question? What is the difference? What's the difference? Oh, well, I'm saved by grace through faith. Love Jesus. Okay, praise the Lord. Now, from here on out, what's the difference in saying that if I don't keep a list of do's and don'ts, what are they, they're Baptist popes. They're Baptist popes. And you know what? You have people in Bible-believing churches all over the country. You know what they are? They're in shackles. They're in shackles. And I deal with young people. You say, you don't know what you're talking about. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Because I deal with young people all the time. You know what happens? You got, a, you got their parents. So you know what they do? They place Christianity in a box and they say, this is Christianity. Right here. This is what it is. It's nice and neat to the point. If you do this and you make sure you're here and you make sure that you wear this. And if you don't say this and if you do this, then this is you being right with God. This is what it looks like. Because after all, don't make me look stupid. Right? And then one of two things happens. Then there's a plausible third, but that's no good. That is, I either conform to the box, right? Or I say, fooey on you and your box. I'm out of here. See you later. And so what you see all over the country is you see young people in Bible-believing Baptist churches saying, see you later. I don't want no part of this stinking mess. Why is that? Why? I remember Dr. Jim Lynch preaching a message one time, and it was an obscure message, and I don't mean that in the sense that it was a bad message. It was not one that you found on uh, the uh, Bible Baptist Blowout MP3 collection. It was one that you had, to, you had to kind of go out and find. And it was a message on Jezebel, and how Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, a Zidonian king, and basically how she was raised to act a certain way, and all the evil that Jezebel was able to do through Ahab, and the Bible says that there was no other king like Ahab that did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. And he says, you know, I know something. He goes all the way back to Ethbaal and how she was raised in the manner of the Zidonians. And you know what he found out? He says... She was just doing exactly what she was raised to do. Painting her face and doing all this different stuff and acting a fool and, and, uh, and, and lying and cheating and conniving. He says she's just doing what she was told to do. So how come we... And he said, you know what the, the conclusion of his message is? He says, listen, Bible believers. He says, we need to start raising our kids for God. Amen. Because he recognized all those years ago, Bible believers are losing their kids. How come? Maybe there's a difference. There's a competing thought. Maybe there's some competing positions. You know, I had to tell, I've had to tell some young people here late, uh, recently, I said, you know what you need to do? You need to, you need to sit down in church. And I said, you're going to need to redefine what you think church is. You say, you're, you're compromising. You're the, no, I'm not. I'm as, listen, I'm as, straight, I'm as straight as I was the day I graduated from Dr. Ruckman's school. I haven't changed my position at all. But what I have done is I have seen over several years now of being out, I've seen the byproduct of a certain mentality when it comes to church. And it's wrong. And it's propagated 
by Bible-believing Baptists. And it's a cancer. And I'm not saying, oh, well, we need to change our standards to get the kids in here. No, that's what's happening. I'm saying we need to get back to what is biblical. I don't believe we need to update the music in order to, in order to get them excited. I think that our song service was plenty exciting tonight. Amen. And you know what I you know what I have experienced as we just continue to preach the word of God and we don't have a bunch of different programs and we don't do a bunch of you know hook and uh, you know bait and switch kind of things with the youth. What I have found out is that they like the old time way. I don't have to do nothing special. It's not hard. But you got as Dr. Peacock was telling you uh, 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 just in just last week. He says he's got, he's got a pastor right now in a different state, and the people are coming up to him and say, we're losing our kids, we need to update some things. Why? There's a competing thoughts. There's some competing ideas of, of what it is. You know what it is? It's Cain and Abel. And we need to be really, really careful about that. Because <laughs> it comes in awful subtly. Because after all... You can't just tell me that, you know, you just get saved and, and nothing happens after that. I understand that. Listen, I understand that uh, God saved us to be a uh, peculiar people zealous of good works. I'm not dumb. <laughs> I know that's in the Bible. But when you make the standard separation, when you make the pinnacle of the temple separation... Listen, I've spent, the, I've spent the majority of this week listening to uh, Bible believers that I wouldn't typically listen to. And I've been analyzing their preaching. And it's all the same. It's all the same. Do this. Do this. Godly standards. Okay. All right. I'm with you. I don't, I, listen, I don't, I don't want to be showing up to church in flip-flops. I get it. I'm not going to preach in flip-flops. Pastor won't let me. <laughs> Nor should he. Right? I don't, I don't, I don't, want, my, I don't want my daughter coming in a miniskirt. I get it. Okay? I don't want any of that. But if that's the pinnacle of the temple, you know what you understand you're doing? If all you're doing is looking at the amount of separation, you're saying, well, if, if we're separated enough, then we'll get closer to Jesus. That is wrong. That's fundamentally wrong. You don't get closer to Jesus by separation. The closer you get to Jesus, you naturally become more separated. You understand? It's a different mindset. It's Cain and Abel. It's different. Right? So we thought that separation produced... uh, uh, produced uh, What is the word I'm looking for? Elevation. We thought separation produced elevation and gets us closer to the Lord. But when actuality happens, if I get elevated and I look unto Jesus, I naturally become more separated from all the things down in the world. So if you're constantly telling people, don't do this, don't do this, and this is the standard, this is the standard. If you don't do this and you do this and that and the other, you know what they're doing? They're just constantly pandering and focusing on the carnal world. So they're just, they're just ate up in carnality. They're just constantly focusing on the here and now. They're constantly focusing on the outward. They're constantly focusing on the things that they have control over with their own hands, Cain. Right? And Abel's sitting back saying, 
Thank God he provided a lamb. Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, I could I'd go out there and sweat my butt off, you know, and I'd get out there on my knees and do everything with my hands and, and pick, pick this and make sure the carrots and the pumpkins and all the stuff is done the right way. And I'm going to make sure that I have the best thing that I can present to the Lord. And Abel's like, man, I'm sure glad I just got to, man, the Lord provided me a lamb. Hallelujah. You see, one, one man was able to accept his faith based on testimony when the other one had to accept it based on religion. Isn't it funny that God, from the, from the Exodus, it told them that they had to pass it down to their sons and daughters through testimony? What have you been told time and time again the most effective tool for soul winning is? Your personal testimony. You say, what did Abel have? He comes and sees mom and dad and says, hey, mom and dad, how's it going? Uh, why are we over here anyways? You know, and Adam, he says, it looks about time we got to have a talk with you boys. And, you know, we was in a garden, me and your mom here. And, and uh, you know, we kind of messed up and, and uh, we, we partook of some things that God told us not to. And, and right about the time we thought we were done, we were finished. You know what the Lord did? He, he got himself a lamb and he cut that throat and the blood spilled out. And that's how we got these clothes here. And based on the testimony of his parents, Abel said, I know what God requires. Both of them knew what God required. But there's this thing in human nature that says it can't be that easy. Because liberty is hard to control. <laughs> and when it comes to humans... For some, don't, you, don't you understand all of the wars, all of the turmoil that you see in the world? What is it? It's a fight for control. It's authority. It's a fight for, for who's on top, who's the best, right? It's this, it's this I, 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 I want to be the one that's in authority. And so it can't be that easy. I've got to do something. I've got to be able to control. I've got to be able to manipulate. I've got to make sure that if I'm, if I'm the head of my household, everybody's got their stuff in a row, and everybody, as soon as everybody looks out on the outside, well, i got my kids in order, my wife's in order, and everything else, but they don't know that at home your home's in shambles. You say, why is that? Maybe you got a little, too much cane, not enough able. I'm not saying this to rebuke you. Everybody's got a little bit of that going on, amen? Everybody's got a little bit of that. Everybody's got some suits and ties on in here. We know when you go home, it ain't always suits and ties and dresses and everything else. We know that. But it's like we constantly operate over here. And so if I'm the head of my household, I want to make sure everything's... And if I'm, if I'm a pastor of a church, i got to make sure my church has the right kind of standards because after all, if somebody comes in from the outside, they come in and they think, well, what kind of standards does your church have? Well, last I checked, I don't need approval of them, right? Pastor's not looking, pastor's not bringing somebody in to preach a meeting to like, you know, grade his church. No. But you got, that's, that's how people think. And so, because we don't want to look foolish and we don't want to look unspiritual, we get a little bit of that Cain religion, right? A little bit of that Cain religion. 
And so when somebody comes in that doesn't think exactly like you, or maybe someone's a little bit new, somebody just gets saved, right? Somebody's going through a hard time. Somebody's a little bit fouled up. Somebody's had a bad experience. There's been some things that's happened in their lives, right? They come into church, and the first thing that comes out of somebody's mouth is, man, probably ought, to, probably ought to get you some new clothes or something. Why? You know? Well, they just got to learn how we do things around here. Don't you think that if you just told them more about Jesus, that that stuff would go away? If we could lift up the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, right? If we could just keep that sacrifice in full view, then maybe if they could turn their eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. I remember when I first met my wife, when she came to church, she was at a, we were at a revival meeting at the church over in Indiana, and there was a particular guy preaching that night, and she, uh, and she was not in church at the time. And I don't say this to embarrass her, nor will I give any details or anything like that to, for, to make you think a certain way. But she was, she was not in church at the time, but her mom was in church, and her mom was struggling at the time, and she had kind of, kind of floated out of church a little bit, and that kind of made her a little bit offset because she kind of felt that her mom was the anchor of her family, and there were some things going on within her family that she realized that if her mom had lost her faith in church, that that meant the doom of the rest of her family. And so she wanders into church in the middle of a revival. And the guy was preaching. And I remember, I didn't, I mean, I, her mom cut my hair. I didn't really know her. And she went down to the altar that night, and she said, I got right with God. And funny thing happened. She quit her job that she had just gotten. I think it was a job at Kohl's or something. Some worthless job. Didn't need that. Right? She quit her job because they they're were they not going to let her get off for the rest of the revival. There was like two or three days left to revival. She quit her job. She says, I need to be at the revival every night. So she quit her job and she didn't miss a night of the revival. She didn't miss a meeting. She had just entered to go to college at IUPUI for physical therapy. Already had books ordered, $3,000 in, in, into, the, into the thing, and it was too late to pull out. You know what she did? She quit, she quit college and joined her Bible Institute at the church. Right? At the end of that revival meeting, it was kind of such a shocking thing. One of the evangelists that was there took up an offering, and they gave her a few hundred dollars. They were just kind of mesmerized. This girl just quit her job to come to revival meeting. Well, let's pitch in here. She just quit her job because she wanted to, you know, get some things straight with the Lord. You know what she did without anybody telling her what to do? You say, you're just trying to puff your wife up a little bit. She doesn't get puffed up enough. Because I have yet to see somebody get right with God the way she did when she got right with God. And some of you don't know this story. Maybe you should. She went to the store and bought a whole new wardrobe. And not one person told her to. Whoa, what a thing. What a thing. You want to know why? It's two different forms of thought. The closer we get to Jesus naturally the separation comes into play. You can never switch them. The minute you switch them, 
you take the Holy Spirit out of it, and then you start seeing folks drop out by flies because guess what? Unless you got the Spirit of God, you can't walk in the Spirit. And so you can only pretend so long because you're not getting refueled. Amen. And if you've ever been in that, you've ever been in that situation where you feel like you're just kind of a shell of your former self and you feel like, why in the world am I doing this when life does seem worse than useless and I was better dead? Maybe just check what frame of mind you're in. Maybe I'm a little bit more on the cane side right now. Maybe I just need to get back to focusing on the lamb like Abel did. Amen? There was two competing positions. Not only was there two competing positions, but anybody in here ever just mess up real bad? Hallelujah. I'm in good company, I hope, because I know I have. I am a professional at making a mess of things. I am really good at boogering stuff up. I'm really good at putting my foot in my mouth. I'm really good about, you know, thinking too detailed on something and and blowing things out of proportion. I'm really good at getting my wires crossed and, and getting things all out of whack. I'm good at that. That's what Cain did. Cain messed up. Cain made a mistake. You say, yeah, but he knew. Yeah, he did know. And and guess what? I dare say the majority of the mistakes you made, you know well and good it was a mistake before you made it. Amen? Amen? (laughs) I know at least that's my testimony. My testimony is, I know this is wrong. I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to get some blood on that thing. That's what I'm going to do. (laughs) Amen? That's that's my wicked carnal mind. Okay? So he makes a mistake. And what I'm about to say here is so important. I believe what, I, what, this, what this passage illustrates at this very moment is the linchpin and the key to Christianity for you and I. Understand me? I'm not just trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to be bombastic. I'm not trying to, you know, be provocative in what, that statement. I really believe it illustrates the most important thing the most important principle when it comes to living for Jesus Christ. Cain messed up. It was a premeditated mess up. He knew better and he did it anyway. And what happens? The Lord comes to him. Right? He messes up. He doesn't like the outcome. He gets mad. And his countenance falls. And you know what the Lord does? He just shows up. And you know what the Bible says? It says the Lord speaks to him. Hallelujah. He does that to me too. Amen. He does that to me too when I mess up. You know what happens? I'll be sitting there. I'll be mad. And I'll be all upset. I'll be frustrated, you know. And all of a sudden, the Lord just kind of comes and sits right next to you and says, Hey, man, how's it going? Why are you so mad? (laughs) Why are you so mad? Why is your countenance falling? Right? The Lord has a tendency of doing that. The Lord has a great ability to just ask these little questions or make these little statements to just jog your mind, right? He does the same thing uh, with with Jonah, right? Jonah's underneath his little gourd and he's sucking his thumb and he's mad. And what does the Lord come? He comes over in that gourd and says, Jonah, doest thou well to be angry? 
right? Comes up to Peter. Hey, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? The woman at the well, he comes over to her and says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? Right? He's got a tendency. That's how he likes to deal with people. He just likes to come sit down next to him, and he's a good God, and he's a gracious God, and he's a loving God. And he comes to us, and he just sometimes sits down next to us after we make a mistake, a premeditated mistake. And he sits down and takes the time and says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as wool. Right? White as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they can be as wool. He says, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. That's the, that's the whole purpose. Jesus says, I must go away. Why? Because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. And when the comforter comes, he will lead and guide you in all truth. He'll show you things. His first duty, the Holy Spirit's first duty is to convict the world of sin and of judgment. Amen? And that's what we needed. We needed somebody to stay with us while Jesus Christ was gone. Why? To show us our need. To show us when we make a mistake. To be the bridge that we needed. And at this moment, the Lord comes down and says, Why are you so mad? Why is your countenance fallen? Cain? Why? He gets straight to the point. He doesn't beat around the bush. I don't ever have to scratch my head and say, I wonder what the Lord's trying to tell me right now. Right? I don't have to do that. When the Lord comes and whispers in my ear and He asks me that question, it's just like when it's just like when uh, Pastor was preaching the other day and uh, and he and he and uh, he reveals himself and the on the road to on the road to Emmaus and they go, Master. It's like the minute he speaks, it's like, oh, wait a second. I know exactly what he's trying to tell me. Right? And he makes it. He makes it. He, he comes and he speaks. He goes straight to the point. And you know what he does? He makes it very simple. Very simple. What does he say there in the passage? He says, if you do well, you'll be accepted. But if you do not well, sin lieth at the door. You know what he just did? He put the ball in Cain's court. He said, I've done everything I can do. You messed up. We, all, we both know this. We both know you messed up. He gave the same courtesy to Cain as he did his parents. They messed up and God still comes and talks to them. Did they mess up? Yes. Was there consequences? Yes. But he, but he came to them. He didn't forsake them. He, he wasn't done with them. And he puts the ball in Cain's court. And he says, if you do right, you'll be accepted. And if not, well, then sin lies at the door. And so, at this point, he has an opportunity to get right with God. Everyone in here that's been in church longer than 15 minutes has heard that statement. Get right with God. My two sons yesterday did something boneheaded. Shocker, 
right? <laughs> Kids do stuff that's boneheaded, right? Well, uh, we came home from doing something, and you know we were going about our day, and Ellie had a friend come over, and they went to get something to eat, and I was going to go grocery shopping, and I go upstairs into the into the kids' bathroom, right? And I look, and there's I can see that there's this like little pink bathtub that you know Ellie got for she likes these little trinket things, and it just drives me nuts because they're small, and I step on them, and they hurt me, and I don't like them. And so I saw this on there, and I'm thinking it's probably filled with water, and I'm thinking. I told these stupid kids not to mess with the water, you know, because they get water over the floor, and then I got to fix it, and then all this stuff happens, right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? So I go in there, and I, and I go to dump the water out of this tub, and it's filled with soap. Because we get that soap that doesn't burn their eyeballs out because we care, right? And they took the soap, and they just... And, this, and it's full in this stupid tub, and I just poured it down the stinking sink. And now my sink's full of suds, and I can't, and there's just, it's just an endless sub bucket. I don't know what to do with it, right? And, and it's just like, oh, I'm going to kill them. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill them. They're going to come home, and then I'm going to say, hey, how's it going? Let's go upstairs. You're going to die now. And so I'm just like, what in the world? Well, uh, Isaac's had some of these like itchy bumps on his feet, so we got like some athlete's foot spray, and we're spraying it. And my, my wife, she sprays it on his feet, washes his feet, sprays it on his feet, and she says, you don't ever play with this because it's toxic. Because we believe in spraying toxic stuff on our kids, because whatever, you know. <laughs> and so me and Paige are sitting there, and, and they're playing and everything else, and we're sitting in the living room, and and uh, I, had, I, I was in my rage, but I went grocery shopping, and I got happy because we had food. And so I came back to the house, and I forgot about killing the kids and everything. And so I'm sitting there, and then Isaac comes down, and he starts acting weird. He's kind of like, just like, you know. And Paige is like, Paige is like, what did you do? He's like, nothing, you know, nothing. And he's like, why are you walking weird? He's like, oh, nothing, you know. It's like, are you Michael Jackson trying to like moonwalk? What are you, why are you walking funny? And so he gets up on her lap and he's got that like, he gets this look and this glossy look at his face. Like, and he gets these big crocodile tears, man. And they just fill it. They don't even drop. They just, his whole eye just gets filled with water. And she's like, what did you do? Well, I took the athlete's foot spray. I sprayed all the bullets and the Nerf guns with it. <laughs> I'm thinking it's like, it's, like, it's like the Jews dipping the bullets in pork fat and shooting Muslims with them, you know? <laughs> thinking, what are you doing, you stinking moron? Right? It's like, we told you, you're never allowed to play in the sink. And then the minute he said that, I was like, oh yeah, by the way, I remember the suds in the stinking bucket thing. And it was like, it was on. Because athlete's foot spray is like 15 bucks, you know, something stupid like that. And this soap is like five bucks. And they get an allowance. Yeah, the kids get an allowance. It's like five bucks a week or something like that. I said, hope you like working for free. <laughs> right? And so we told him, hey, you're paying for this. You know, and if there was a company over here that could incriminate us, I would beat the snot out of you right now. Right? We did all those parents. I took my belt off 
You know, I never spank my kids with a belt. I just wanted to, like, intimidate them. And my wife starts laughing. I was like, I'm trying to be intimidating. You can't laugh when I'm trying to intimidate the children. And so, you know, we yell at him. I get real loud, you know, go away. <laughs> and they go upstairs. Fast forward, like, 10 minutes. You know, Isaac comes down. <laughs> And I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm ignoring him. You know, my wife's over there. She's ignoring him. And I keep looking up out of the corner of my eye, and he's just staring at me. I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? I don't know. So why are you crying? Because I have to pay for this stuff. <laughs> like, hallelujah, I did too. <laughs> right? And I thought to myself, here's a teachable moment. I think dads are defined by a few little sections in time when they can impart spiritual wisdom into their children. I thought, this is it. Right? So I said, Isaac, come here. Aiden, come here. Not right now. <laughs> I said, I said, when you do wrong, I said, you want to know why you're sitting over there right now and you're looking with a long face and, you got, and, you're, and you're crying, you're staring at me? I said, because you know you messed up. And I said, the only way to get that feeling to go away is to get it right. I said, do you know how to get it right? No, I don't. I said, when you do wrong, you got to go to the person that you did wrong to, and you got to humble yourself. You got to admit that you did wrong and ask him for forgiveness. And I told my son, I said, are you saved? He says, yeah, I'm saved. I said, okay, well, why'd you have to get saved? I'm a sinner. Oh, well, yeah, there you go, right? You sinned against God, right? And I said, and so Jesus Christ, in order for you to go to heaven, you had to go to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness and ask him to save you, and then you were able to get it right, and now you're on your way to heaven. You see that? That's your example. I said it works the same way after you're saved. If you sin against God after you're saved and something gets all boogered up and you make a mistake and you make a mess, you know what you got to do? you got to hit your knees and ask for forgiveness and ask for the blood of Jesus Christ to wash it, to confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And if I sin against a brother or a sister or whoever, if it's against a person, I need to go to that person and I need to say, hey, will you please forgive me? I apologize. You see that? God gave him time to correct the problem. God gave Cain time to correct the problem. You say, what is fundamental Christianity? What I just told you. I walk through this life, and as, as I mess up and I make mistakes, I have to get them right. And if it's towards a person, I have to get it right towards that person. And if it's towards God, I have to get it right towards God. You say, that's too elementary. You're right. But it still needs to be preached. Because guess what? I was sitting there and I was looking at my son and, the, and as I'm looking at him, I'm thinking to myself, well, why doesn't he come just say he's sorry? And the Lord says, he doesn't know. He doesn't know 
how to get it right. All he knows is how he feels. I think we assume Christians know more than what they really do. And sometimes the simplest things in the Christian life, just like the simplicity about salvation, Cain said it can't be that simple. You see where we're going? The Christian, sometimes we like to overlook the simplicity of just, that's fellowship, folks. That's walking in the Spirit. That's keeping short accounts with God. That's what Paul said, I have a good conscience towards God and towards man. That's what that is. And it's this fundamental Christian principle that if we don't take the time when God gives us the space to correct it, we open ourselves up for something far worse to come in its place. And we also see this illustrated in the passage. Because he gives them the time to correct the problem. But you know how the story goes. Cain is silent. And Cain overlooks the opportunity to get it right. You say, what would Cain had to do in order to get it right? You know what he would have had to done? He already had God's ear. He could have humbled himself right there and said, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I knew exactly what you wanted of me, and I didn't. I gave you what I wanted to give you, and I'm sorry. And then you know what he would have done? He would have went to Abel said, hey, bro, I just want to say I'm sorry. I made a fool of myself back there, and it wasn't your fault, and I got mad at you. I shouldn't have got mad at you. It had nothing to do with you. It had something to do with me. And uh, I know I've spent all my time just tilling this garden here, and I've been working my hands to the bone for something that doesn't mount to a hill of beans. And you think maybe you could give me a lamb? I could get this thing straight with the Lord. I want to get it straight with you. I want to give the Lord what he's really looking for. And you know what would have happened? He'd have got right with God that fast. It had been done. But he didn't. But he didn't. I want to run some verses with you right now because I've been going over something in teen Sunday school class that I thought was going to be a one-week thing that has turned into three weeks. And I think it's applicable based on what Pastor had said last Wednesday night, and I'm not going to try to teach what he was getting involved in, but I believe I could skim over it and maybe uh, make application to the passage in which we're at here tonight. But there's a principle here. It tells us in Matthew 18, 15, that if we have an issue with a brother, we go directly to that person and get the thing straightened out. We know how to deal with issues in the church. Go to Proverbs real quick, just to illustrate this point before we move on. Proverbs chapter number 6. Because this is going to segue into what I'm about to tell you. And I'm not just saying this off the cuff. This isn't what I think. This is what the Bible, I believe, shows us. Proverbs chapter number 6. Verse number 1, the Bible says, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger... Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Do you see the principle that we're talking about here? 
You did wrong. You messed up. You got things fouled up. The moment you see him, go humble yourself and make sure of it. Sure up that relationship. Get it right. Why? The intensity behind it says, Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Why is there such a sense of urgency to get it right? Verse 5. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the what? Wait a minute. You mean something's hunting me? Oh, as a bird from the hand of the fowler. Wait a minute. That just told me that I need to make sure that I am, I am focused. Like if I mess up and I've got something that's not right between me and a brother, or let's just go ahead and say Jesus Christ is also, he says, I didn't call you servants, I called you friends. The Bible says he received the wounds from the house of his friends. He, so you're the friend, Jesus Christ is a friend uh, greater than any other friend you ever had, right? He's sticking closer than a brother. So if I have an issue between me and the Lord Jesus Christ or me and another brother or sister or somebody, then the Bible tells me that I shouldn't give slumber to my eyelids until I get that thing right because if I don't, somebody's coming after me as a roe from the hand of the hunter. And the Bible tells us, be sober, be vigilant, for thine adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. You're being hunted. You're being hunted. And I tell you this right now, not dealing with fleshly sins and fleshly problems opens the door Amen. to spiritual entanglement. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Right? Spiritual wickedness in high places. You open the door. You open the door. And the devil says, oh, there's an opening. There's an opening. You see, there are some terrible consequences that preceded his lack of repentance. Starting in verse number 8. If you go back to our text here. Genesis chapter 4, look in verse number 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So it went from he made a mistake to now he's got a full-blown mess on his hands. I'm going to tell you something. There is not just the working of the flesh that caused him to kill his brother. The working of the flesh was what caused him not to get the thing straight. But there was something more spiritually demonic behind him killing his brother. Why? Because he left a door open. You say, I don't see where you're getting that. I don't see where you're getting that. John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. Keep it there. I just don't want you to think I'm crazy. John chapter number 8. I'm not trying to be spooky tonight. This is reality. John chapter number 8, verse number 44. Year of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. What does it say? He was a murderer from the beginning. Wait a minute. 
You mean something spiritual happened to Cain? Yep, and it happened between verses 7 and verse 8. You realize there's something funny here uh, in, uh, the, in, chapter, in chapter number 4 back in Genesis, in verse number 13, the Bible says, And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. There's one italicized word uh, in, that, in that verse. You know, that's verse number 13. There's 13 words in that verse. There's 13 words in that, in that verse. If you go to John, book of John, chapter number 13... John chapter number 13, verse number 13. Ye call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so uh, I am. Right? Uh, let me, I'm going to read something for you here. Verses 11 and 13 are about Judas Iscariot. He was the one apostle who had never had a, uh, who never had a bath, and when the pastor was talking about that this morning uh, in his sermon. Right? He was a lost man who never had been saved. Um, verse 13 is obviously a reference to Judas because he was the only disciple who constantly called Jesus master. There are 13 letters in the name Judas Iscariot. Verse 13 here in chapter 13 has 13 letters, uh, excuse me, has 13 words in it. If you don't count the italicized word so, because that was added by the AV translators, those 13 words have 39 letters in them, thir- three times 13. And to the top it all off, um, there are 13 people in the upper room at the Last Supper. Judas is the son of perdition. That's John 17, uh, which is the title of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians. The Antichrist shows up in Revelation chapter 13. His number is 666, and it's found in Revelation 13, 18. And 18 is 6 plus 6 plus 6. Thank you, Dr. Ruckman. You say, what is that? There's a connection all the way back in Genesis chapter 4, John chapter number 13, to the son of perdition, to the Antichrist. And what does the Bible say about Judas? That the devil entered into him. You say, what happens when you fail to do that simple, basic Christian principle? You know what you do? You open up the door for spiritual possession. Spiritual possession. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me, if you will. I'm coming to a point here. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at the admonition, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard of him, heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. That's exactly what we're talking about, keeping short accounts with God. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak uh, every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one uh, of another. Do you see that that's the same exact problem he had in Genesis chapter 4? He wouldn't get that thing straight with his brother. He had opportunity to get it right, and he didn't do it. Right? It says, be angry and sin not. 
What did he ask him? He says, why are you wroth? Oh. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither what? Give place to the devil. You know what that just told you? When you fail, as simple as it is, when you fail to get those little things right, when they're presented to you that they're wrong, the Bible says you give now place to the devil. And what's the problem with giving place to the devil? It grieves the Holy Spirit. And then look what shows up. Verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away with all malice and be kind one to another. Right? Why, why, is, this, why is this all there? 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Just so that you see the you see the reoccurring theme. Verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified meat for the master's use. Prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient and meekness, instructing those, look at this, that oppose themselves. If God provincial will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the what? Snare of the devil who are taken captive by His will. That means, as you've heard preached before, way better than I can, that means when you fail to get those things that are wrong, you fail to get those things right, you want to know what happens? You give place to the devil. When you give place to the devil, the devil now has the ability to take you captive at His will. And guess what? The works of the flesh are these. When you add a devil in there, that thing ramps up just like you saw in Genesis chapter 4. And it goes from the works of the flesh to some spiritual wickedness and some horrible things that took place. And he ends up killing his brother. You know what I've been talking to these teens about? How come I have three weeks worth of questions from teens in regards to demon possession? Because you got to be careful about the doors you leave open. And the, and the portals that you have. We went over to the, to the, uh, the Wicked Witch of Endor and, 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 and how he was kneeling on the ground and looking there and seeing spirits go, you know the closest thing you've got to that's that. Kneel down and what are you doing? You're seeing spiritual things. That's a portal. That's a portal. You see, you thought, you thought, you thought that it was just, you know, uh, well, well, what's a platform for the devil? What's a, what's a platform? Um... The Bible says that it can be bitterness. Because what happens when you don't get something right with a brother? You know what happens? The further, the further space it is that you take time to get that thing right, you know what happens? Bitterness comes into play. You say, what is that? That's a place for the devil. It's a place for the devil. 1 Timothy. Just a couple pages over since it's not too far. I'll tell you to go there. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 
verse number 6, talking about preachers, talking about the, uh, the requirements of an ideal pastor. He says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he falls into the condemnation of the devil. You say, what's a platform, what's a place for the devil to come in? Your pride. Only by pride cometh contention. Hey, Cain, how come you had such a problem with your brother? Oh, you thought you knew better. You thought you knew better than God. Right? And so only by pride cometh contention. And if that's the case, you know what he did? He left himself wide open. Well, you know what happens when we have contentions between us and the Lord or us and, and somebody in our family or us and somebody else that, that uh, we're serving with? You know what happens? You give place to the devil. You give place to the devil. Look at the next verse. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into, the repro into reproach and the snare of the devil. You say, what is that? That's your testimony. Yeah. So I'm supposed to have a good report of them that are without. I should, I should have a testimony that doesn't entrap me. Because if I'm saying things and doing something different, you know what that is? That's a place for the devil to get in. You have to understand what we're talking about. This is a weighty matter. Because I don't care what you say. It's greater he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yeah, I get that. That's a, that's, that's a, that's a, uh, a true statement in the sense that, yes, the Holy Spirit inside of me is greater than he that is in the world. But if I quench the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean that a devil can't get in there and reside in me. You say, what did, he do to his, what did he do to his brother? He killed him. That's not just a work of the flesh. That's a work of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. That was a work of the devil. How come you're so... How, how, how come... Uh, the Bible talks about a spirit of fear. How come you're so scared all the time? Why? That's a spirit. How'd you get that spirit? You always angry? Can't control your temper? Why you always jacked out of the frame all the time? You know, that's a spirit, right? Always self-loathing, oh, I'm just this, that, and the other. That self-mutilation stuff isn't just physical. You can do that verbally. But you got other people. I just dealt with somebody the other day. You know what they did? Scratch themselves until they bleed because they were too afraid to do it with razors. Why? That's a spirit. How'd you get that spirit? How'd you get that spirit? It doesn't just come. He's got to have a place. And we give him a place. Say, so how do you do it? We forget the simple thing. I did something wrong. And you know what I need to do? I just need to get it right. Right? I just need to get it right. But isn't it funny how your mind starts messing with you? Well, it really wasn't me. It was them. Well, time heals a multitude of wounds, you know. Okay. How come it's so hard sometimes to just 
get something right. Because you know what it produced? It produced him, for one, killing his brother. And that's what it... How come, how come folks destroy people verbally? Behind somebody's back, you know? You just talk bad about them all the time, everything else. You wouldn't do it in church. No, that's just not how we do it, right? We do it behind people's backs. You're no better than Cain. There's a spirit behind that. And then you know what happens? The Lord, in His mercy and grace, comes to him again. Says, hey, Cain, where's your brother? And you know, you know what he does? He lies to the Holy Ghost. You say, what is it that we do when we got a bad spirit? You know what we do? We lie to ourselves and we lie to the Spirit of God because every time you hear a sermon, you hear that thing that God says, get that thing right. Get that thing right. Get that thing right. And you know what happens? You just lie to him. I don't know where he is. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And you know what happens? A simple mistake turns into an absolute tragedy because of one simple principle that was not followed. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, tonight is the key to the Christian life. Because you want to know something? Offenses are going to come. We're going to mess up. You know what this shows me? The importance of church. This show, listen, this shows me that I need to be here in a place where I can hear preaching and have an opportunity to respond to preaching. Amen? Because I need preaching. God uses preaching to, to illuminate those things that we need to get right. And we need to be sensitive to those things. We need to be quick to repent. We need to be quick to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Brother so-and-so, I'm sorry. Sister so-and-so, I'm sorry. I don't even know why we're fighting. I don't even know why there's a problem. I'm sorry. And then he told you back there in 2 Timothy, he says, being patient with those that oppose themselves. Those are folks that have been entrapped by the devil. You know what he tells you to do? Be patient with them. Oh, you thought it was a rebuke that would get them right. No. You rebuke a wise man and becomes yet wiser. You rebuke a wicked man and guess what? The Bible says you get to yourself a blot. Why is that? Because those that oppose themselves, that are underneath demonic possession, and they, have, they, have, they got bad spirits inside of them, guess what, they, guess what they do? They won't take a rebuke. Bible believers across America think that, oh, well, so-and-so, uh, you know, a kid goes prodigal, somebody goes prodigal, they got the devil in them, okay. So when they come in, the first thing you do is start banging all the things that they're doing wrong. That's not how you win them back. How about, hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. I just want you to know we didn't cut you off. I just want you to know if you ever need anything, call me. I just want you to know I'm not mad at you. I don't have to condone what they're doing. I don't have to get on their side. I'm not compromising. I'm practicing biblical Christianity. But if somebody in here, maybe you've been rebuked lately. You know what? That it feels horrible. I have been rebuked a lot in my life. You know what the Bible tells you? That rebukes 
The Bible says is a way of life. It's a way of life. And so somebody, somebody, so God, you know what, you know what you ought to take that? God, some, pastor come to you, stick his finger in your face, call you anything but human, goes all chief on you. You know what you do? You say, Lord, I sure appreciate you counting me spiritually strong enough to be able to take a rebuke. Help me to learn from what that man just told me. Folks, what are you talking about tonight? I'm talking about the most important linchpin in Christianity is your personal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I labor and I, and I, and I strive to have a conscience void of offense between God and man. And I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He told you back there in Ephesians chapter 4, grieve not the Holy Spirit whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Don't grieve Him. Don't quench Him. How do I do that? Can I just say this? Real, real simple. Get stuff right. When the Lord comes and sits down next to you and says, why are you wroth? Why is your countenance fallen? Lord, you're right. I'm sorry. I should have, I, I, knew, I knew better. I should have just got it right. I'm sorry. What hinders us from doing that? Why are we estranged from the altar? We're not too, we don't know too much, do we? We don't know too much, do we? Because after all, you could know everything past that point. And if you miss that one thing, you're done. You're done. I'll end with this illustration. In jujitsu training, they teach you you have to be sneaky when it comes to trying to submit somebody. And one of the guys was showing me the other day, he says, okay, if you're trying to put somebody in an arm bar, that's, like a, that's a submission that's very hard to get out of. And he says, ideally, what they do is they get on their back, and when they get on their back, you throw your legs over, you grab their arm, and you go back, you push your hips up, pull it off to the side, and they tap. He says, but if it's, you're going against somebody who's experienced, they're going to know what that feels like. And so he says, you know what you do is you, you get them over uh, on their back, and then you don't reach for an arm bar. You reach for a Kimura or Americana, so you go over on the other side, the other arm that you're, you're not even, you're not really even interested in that arm. All you're doing is you're grabbing that arm and you're putting it in a hole that they're familiar with, right? And the minute they do that, what they do is they lean up onto their side. And when they get up onto their side, you know what you can do? You can shove your knee into their back, and now you have full access to that arm that's closest to you. And you sling your leg over, you go back, and it's done. How does the devil get into Bible-believing Baptist churches? How does the devil get into the young people? How does the devil get in? How does the devil get in? You thought it was just consecration, separation, this, that, and the other. Nope. He tricked you. He puts you in a fake arm lock. And then you go roll up on your side and you think, oh, well, I'm defending this thing. I'm defending this thing. And the Bible tells you about that, 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 that strange woman. She says, he's, that young man goes after that strange woman. And, and the Bible says, and he knoweth not that it's for his life. You know, what they, you know, you know how you get caught in those things? 
you forget the fundamentals. You got your arms all out here. You're supposed to keep them tight. Folks, Christians, we can't forget the fundamentals. That's how we get ensnared. It's as simple as, hey, you got something wrong tonight? Get it right. I don't care how small it is. Say what you do. Get it right. Right now. Get it right. Why? Because you're opening a door. And I don't know about you. I can't mess with the devil. I ain't strong enough. And it's a whole lot harder to fix a spiritual problem with the devil than it is for you to confess your sins and let the Lord Jesus Christ wash those sins away. That's a whole other thing. And it's a lot harder to deal with that problem than it is to deal with this problem. So you know what you need to do tonight? Something between you and the Lord? Something between you and somebody else? You know what you do? Get it right. Simple. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the ability to be in church. Thank you, Lord, for the attentiveness of your people. Thank you for this passage, Lord, that gives us instruction. It gives us learning. Father, we're able to see and, and learn lessons. And God, I ask, Lord, that you'd help us to be a church that's quick to get things right. God, help us. Help us, God. You know we're but flesh. And God, I would just ask tonight, Lord, that you'd give us that time to correct our problem. Father, keep us safe and Lord, give us time to correct the problem. And I pray that those with an earshot tonight, Lord, would find time right now to correct whatever problem they may have. Lord, that they could leave this church tonight having a conscience void of offense between you and anybody else. Sometimes it's as simple as just shooting off a text message saying, hey, I'm sorry. Making a phone call, hey, I'm sorry. God, would you help us tonight? This is Christianity, Lord. Help us to follow in your footsteps because you told us, Lord, that we should forgive just like Christ forgave us. We love you, Lord, and ask you to bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.